Hey church, it's good to be with you for another online worship service. The song that we're going to open with is really up-tempo and fun and rowdy. And sometimes I have this vision of you watching the service like on your phone and it's out of the little phone speaker. And it makes my heart sad. So for this worship set, just for fun, if you can, get on a big screen, stream it through an app, crank up your subwoofer, get the kids, have a little worship dance party in your living room. This is an awesome song. It's called King of Glory. Let's stand. Let's praise the name of the Lord Jesus here on this uh this weekend service. Amen? Here we go. Would you stand?
Welcome, ABF Online. It is so great to be with you again this weekend. You know, ABF is one church with four venues. We have a Thursday night service where you can be in the studio audience, as many of you have done. We also have Sunday morning, whether you're in the well, whether you're uh, in the courtyard, or you're here in our worship center. So, But right now, you're watching at home. And I just got to tell you, we're so glad that you're part of the ABF family. And we want to make sure that you're getting prayed for. And so if you have a prayer request, don't forget, you can text us at 97000 or 97000. We'd like to pray for you. I've just thought about things I am so happy and thankful for. And I spent some time doing an exhaustive survey of people in ABF. And you know what I'm thankful for? We're thankful for some of the same things. Number one, I'm thankful for both baseball, golf, and basketball all coming in July, Lord willing. Number two, I am thankful for beaches, especially when they're open. Number three, I am thankful for family. And I'm thankful that we have a, uh, not only our church family, but my own family. I'm thankful for jobs that many of you are saying, well, I'm just, you're just grateful to have a job. Some other things that you said, uh, you're thankful for being able to eat outside at Maria's Italian restaurant. Another one is, I love those early morning walks that I have with my wife. And those are just some of the things that we're thankful for. And so even as we think about what's going on in our world today, I'm hoping you're taking some time to be thankful for the little things that make a difference. Well, some of those little things that make a difference is when we get to have an ABF fun day. We did our first beach day a few weeks back, and we are back on July 8th and 18th. July 8th and 18th. And so I hope that you're joining us this weekend, or maybe you already joined us. And then we have Marriage Essentials coming again. It's always the third Sunday night of the month at 8 p.m., and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about marriage and relationships on that Zoom call. Then I want to let you know, we've done so many different things uh, through our, your charitable giving. One of the things we talked about last week was the church that we helped in Mexico that had all their sound equipment stolen, uh, and we were able to get them back online. Another exciting thing that you'll see more about in the future is a house that we are building through Hugo Ministries in Ensenada. Our team was supposed to be there this next week. It's kind of a bittersweet thing. But our team donated the money that it had raised to go. And what they did is gave that to Hugo Ministries. And we got great news that on Monday of this past week, the Mexican staff that worked for Hugo Ministries were all allowed by the government to come back on campus. That's 26 individuals. And today and this week, that, that began 16 straight weeks of building 16 homes. So at the end of the sermon, we'll have 16 of those. One of those 16 homes, because of your generous contributions, are allowing a family to have a home in Mexico. So we'll show you more pictures about that when we get later in the summer. And then lastly, I got to just tell you, thanks so much for the way you give so graciously and sacrificially to our church. You've all figured it out, whether you give online, you mail the check, you put it in the box and the offering plate on the back. Whether you're here with us live or whether you're watching online as a regular part of the experience, we're all part of the, the ABF family, and I'm so thankful for you. Now, it's our 
great delight today for you to hear from Chris Kerner. He's our junior high director. And one of the things that I think is really important at this point is that while you're standing at home, we already stood up for the music, but from your couch, from your table, from your backyard, even while you're on a hike this morning, let's give a warm ABF welcome to Mr. Chris Kerner. Woo! Chris, come on down. Well, thank you, John, for that lovely introduction. I totally appreciate that. Uh, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Whenever you are watching this, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, John said it. My name is Chris Kerner. I'm the ABF Junior High Director here. Uh, and uh, I am so excited to be able to spend some time with you. Uh, as you know, we have been in our summer series in Exodus uh, through uh, lessons from the wilderness. And for me, I don't know about you, but the big lesson and the reminder that makes me just kind of in awe, no matter what the lesson is, is that the God from Exodus is the same God that we follow and worship today. Even though it's been thousands of years, it's the same God. And what I've been learning is that not only is he the same God, but he deals, he deals with the people the same way. He deals with his children the same way as he did then and as he does now. And what I'm learning is that in this study, we see that God is not just a God that's sitting on a throne waiting to kind of get involved when he wants to be, but he is a God that is always there, that he is always near, that he is always listening to his children. Uh, he does not just choose when he wants to, but he is always present. And uh, what I love about God is that no matter where we are in life, he is present. He is present. Uh, the concept of God being this father really kind of uh, hit me when I first became a dad. Uh, I always thought God was like this big, powerful, uh, you know, Thanos up in the throne, and he kind of comes down but God is such a loving father. When I first became a dad, uh, I started to understand that relationship a little more. Uh, uh, having a newborn, as some of you guys know, we just had our fourth kid, and I'm kind of reliving uh, through some of these difficult things that I kind of forgot about, and one of them being, uh, called, it's called tummy time. And what that means is, is you take the newborn and you kind of put the baby on the tummy. And it's one of the most miserable things if you've ever done it uh, because the baby is just there and they're on their stomach and they're just crying, they're screaming, they can't do anything. And as a parent, you're just kind of sitting back and you're kind of watching and you think, well, she thinks I'm just torturing her. She thinks I'm just, I've abandoned her. She thinks that I'm just like, just there you go, you're on your own. But what she doesn't understand is that it's all for a reason. I'm having her have tummy time so she can build her core, so she can build her strength, so she can build her back muscles and her neck muscles and her chest muscles, her arm muscles. That way she's able to, that, that way she's able to go to the next stage, which is to be able to roll over, which is uh, the next stage to be able to crawl. That's how God is with us. And being a new dad, I started to understand that. And I'm starting to remember that, that God is always there. Even though we are kind of feeling like we're tortured sometimes in the desert, we don't know why we are in that desert. He's listening and he's providing and he's getting us ready for the next stage. And he's constantly teaching his children because that's what a good father does. 
And today we're going to see how God not only continues to lead the Israelites, but has in this grace, is always listening. And as any good father does, he begins to teach obedience and build his children's faith in him while providing for their needs on a daily basis. And as we look at their story, as we look at the Israelite story here in chapter 16, we will see how God is working in our story the same way. So let me pray for us as, uh, before we dive in. Well, Father God, we just thank you so much for the chance to be able to come to a church and be able to open up your word. We thank you that we are able to study Exodus, Lord, and we thank you for the reminder that you are not just some God that chooses when you want to come and spend time with this, but you are a loving Father that's continuing to provide for us, continuing to love us, continuing to get us to the next stage in your ultimate plan, Lord. We thank you that you use us. We love you so much, and I pray that you bless the next few minutes as we're looking at your word. In your name we pray, amen. So today we are in Exodus 16, and I have titled this message, Grumbling, Quail, and Manna, Oh My. Josh, what is that a play on? What movie? You've never seen this movie. Okay, all right. Grumbling, Quail, and Manna, Oh My. What is that a play on? The Wizard of Oz. You've never seen Wizard of Oz? Wow, geez, okay. All right, so grumbling, quail, and manna, oh my. Hopefully that'll help you remember this passage as we get into it. And lessons of the wilderness is a great topic because we have four lessons for you. Uh, Four lessons that I want us to look at today. But before we get into the lessons, we gotta do a little recap because we're blazing through this book. So a little recap, the journey so far It's been 400 years of terrible slavery going on in Egypt. So Exodus opens up. It's been over 400 years of terrible slavery going on. Then we see quickly the calling of Moses, uh, that God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush. God will deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And then in a six to nine month period, the Israelites witness 10 plagues, and the 10th one being the Passover. And as soon as the Passover is over, God shows favor to the Hebrews, and the Egyptians now just want them out of Egypt. They're given their gold, their clothing, their possessions just to get the Hebrews out. And then we see that they're following Aaron and Moses out of Egypt. And within the last 30 days, chapter 16 opens up. It's been 30 days since slavery. And in the last 30 days, the Israelites have witnessed some amazing things. God is just in full, like he's showing off. In the last 30 days, the Israelites have witnessed the Red Sea parting, the crossing of the Red Sea. Within the last 30 days, the Israelites have witnessed the Egyptian army destroyed. In the last 30 days, God turns bitter water into sweet water. In chapter 15, there's a moment where there's been a couple of days without water, and God leads them to a body of water, but it's bitter water. They can't drink it, so God tells Moses, throw a log into the water, and then it becomes sweet water. Within 30 days, God has been leading them with a cloud during the day and a fire at night. For 30 days, God has never left him. See, God wants to establish a trust relationship with his children and him. And you would think, wow, seeing is believing, right? Look at what the Israelites have witnessed. After seeing God do all those amazing things, how could anyone ever not trust in God? How could anyone not have faith ever again? How could anyone ever be afraid? How could anyone ever be angry, bitter, or grumble about anything after what they have witnessed? But what we will see is that the miracle of the freeing 
from slavery, the crossing of the Red Sea, the delivery of sweet water was quickly replaced with a new frustration and a new concern. So with that little bit of a recap, we're in chapter 16. So turn there. Uh, First lesson, first out of the four, first lesson is in our desert, God is near. In our desert, God is near. So we're going to read starting verse one. They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we, has, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out of this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Wow, crazy, crazy uh, passage there, but let's break this down a little bit. First off in the verse, there's a couple of places. Uh, the first one is uh, Elam, and that's at the end of chapter 15. Go back and read chapter 15. We haven't had time to go study that, but go back and read it. It's an amazing one. But at the end of chapter 15, uh, there's a couple of days, again, uh, the Israelites need water. God knows that, and he leads them to this place called Elam, and it has uh, 12 springs and 70 palm trees. It's a sweet little oasis in the desert. And God's saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. I know what you need, trust me. We see that's the 15th day of the second month. So it's been 30 days since slavery. 30 days since slavery. And we see now that they're in this place called the wilderness of sin. The wilderness of sin. Now, if you look at this picture, okay, doesn't necessarily look like a picture or a place that you would want to go on vacation. Now, some of you love to go to the deserts. I have a neighbor that like, he's like, I'm like, where are you going this week? And he's like, I'm going to the deserts, 115 degrees. I'm excited. I'm like, have fun with that. If you're one of those people, awesome. I am not. That is not somewhere that I voluntarily will want to go. But if you look at this picture, it looks miserable to me. It's stark, dry, hot, rocky desert, but it's going to be the perfect place to test obedience and to build faith. It's going to be a perfect place to build faith. My son plays AAU basketball, and every year we have to go to Vegas uh, for the big national tournament, and we have to go through the desert to get there. It's my least favorite part of the journey because it's miserable, especially in July. I don't vacation in deserts. I would never want to go there. But we've all been in the desert before. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. Spiritually, we have been in deserts. We all have been in a desert before. And here's the thing about deserts in our life, spiritual deserts in our life. You're either about to go into one, you're in the middle of one, or you just got out of one. It's never fun. Deserts can be miserable, especially if you just left the comfort of Elam. The blessings and miracles from the past 30 days that the Israelites have experienced are now a distant memory, and the new concerns now starts to instill fear and anxiety and panic and worrisome and doubt and frustration and irritations and a lack of faith in a God that's been leading and providing and showing up in big ways for 30 days. And I wonder if any of us have ever dealt with this forgetting God's provision and being concerned for something that's unknown. 
something for tomorrow. And Sally, I think this is a statement that is true that I go through and maybe for some of you. And how quickly they have forgotten about God and what he has done already. I mean, it gets pretty dramatic. It looks like a couple of siblings are fighting. Uh, They're grumbling about maybe it was better in the good old days in slavery, at least there was meat. They're grumbling about the next concern, food and water. It's pretty dramatic. They would rather uh, death in slavery. Where is the gratefulness? Where's the thankfulness for what God has done in 30 days? They've seen amazing things. Now it's on to the next thing to be bitter about. And what's amazing about God, even in our grumbling, God listens. Even in our grumbling, God listens, which brings us to our lesson number two. In our grumbling, God listens. In our grumbling, God listens. So we'll pick it up in verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they will bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he had heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your, what Josh? Grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the, what Josh? Grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Wow. Okay, did you catch it? Did you catch how many times the word grumble or grumbling appears? Okay, you have five seconds to figure that out. How many times does grumble or grumbling appear in this passage? Five, four, three, two, one. Seven, yes, Lindsay, you are right. Seven times the word grumble or grumbling appears. Now, if that doesn't tell us anything about God and his patience and grace, I'm not sure what will. Concerns and difficult circumstances are real. God knows that. They need food. They need water. Difficult circumstances can lead to stress and anxiety and doubt, which can turn into complaining. It is a natural response. Concerns are real. God knows that. Even Jesus in the garden the night before his arrest, he was concerned so much that he was sweating drops of blood. But in our difficult circumstances, there is a difference between grumbling to God and crying out to God. There's a difference between grumbling to God and crying out to God. When difficult things happen, there's a difference between shaking your fists, being mad at God, complaining, grumbling, and falling on your face and being on your knees and crying out to God. And thankfully, he listens to us when we grumble, not just when we pray. 
In verse four, it says that God's going to test them. And sometimes when we are in the desert, God's just gonna test us. I think tests have a bad reputation. I was not a great student. I hated tests. I hated tests in elementary, junior high, high school, college, grad school, you name it, I don't like tests. They have a bad reputation. But you see, tests are designed to track growth, a progress in the study or retaining important information. You don't just give a 16-year-old the license because they want it. You don't just give anyone a, uh, a gun because they want it. Right, Josh? You have to take tests. You can't just be a teacher without the accreditation process. You can't just be a lawyer. You have to take tests. You have to go through different things to test you. God tests us to track obedience and faith in him. Tests are not a bad thing. If a test comes to you or me, I think it means that God is seeing if you're ready for what he has next in store. Have our faith muscles grown enough? Is our reliance in him consistent enough? Do we have faith for bigger obstacles that only God can handle? I think tests kind of help answer those questions. And we're going to see that the Israelites are going to have many, many more tests ahead of them in the years to come. If you are being tested in an area right now, I think God is just seeing if you're ready for what's the next stage. I think he's ready to see if you're ready to go the next level for his ultimate plan for you. So moving on to the lesson number three, in our needs, God provides. In our needs, God provides. Uh, verse 13, it says this, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness, a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Real quick, manna actually does mean, what is it? So there you go. There's a little trivia for you. Uh, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So we'll pause there a little bit. Uh, I love this because God will provide what we need daily, even in the desert. God gives exactly what they are grumbling about. He knows their needs, carbs and proteins. He gives it to them. Now, for us, it might not be exactly what we want, our needs. Uh, you know, it might not be exactly what we expect or what we think we deserve or in our timing, but God provides. He knows our needs. He knows what we need. He provides just enough for what we need just in time, day by day. Tough circumstances, like times in the desert, teach and develops faith. Faith that there will be food tomorrow. And we see that God the Father is starting to teach them that he's going to provide. In verse 15, we, we see that uh, it's kind of foreshadowing Jesus, talking about the bread. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 48 through 51, Jesus says that he is our daily bread. Uh, 48 says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Spoiler alert. Uh, verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I, Jesus saying, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So we see lesson number three, in our needs, God 
provides. He is present. He knows exactly what we need and how much, and he provides it. Going to move on a little bit to verse 19. Verse 19, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Now, in this section, I actually have two sub-points that I kind of want to point out. And the first one, the first point is that God starts to teach obedience. He starts to teach obedience. And any good father teaches their children the importance of obedience. Obeying rules in order to stay safe, healthy, and to protect us physically, mentally, and spiritually. Uh, as a youth pastor, uh, I love the chance to play dodgeball. Anytime I get to throw a dodgeball at a middle schooler uh, as hard as I can without getting in trouble is something that I really value here at ABF. And, uh, uh, but I always have to, I always get to, I should say, uh, tell the rules because no matter how many times you play it, students need to hear rules. So, uh, of course, I'm always the lame one because I'm giving them rules of how to protect each other how to get out, make sure that we're not hitting people in the head, making sure that this doesn't happen, this doesn't happen. And I become, you know, boring, lame Mr. Pastor, but it's for their own good. And of course, one of them always gets hurt, not because of me, uh, but rules are important. Obedience is important. Any good father knows that. God starts to teach obedience here. He knows what's best for them. Because the moment we start relying on our skills, our abilities, our talents, our experiences, our wants, our passions, our goals, and not on him, that's when the worms, the maggots, and the stench come. It's never as good or as easy or works out the same way as when we are obeying him and letting God lead and provide. They kind of get carried away because they're scared. They gather and they, they keep it overnight. And then we see that it gets filled with worms. And God's saying, just trust me. Just trust me. I've provided for 30 days. Just trust me. Obey. So the first point was he starts to teach obedience. And the second point is that obedience will build faith. Obedience will eventually build faith. Deserts can be long and miserable and depressing. Being obedient can be hard. Desert, though, a desert, if you're in the desert, it doesn't always mean a wrong turn or a mistake. God often leads us into deserts because he wants us to obey him. He wants to teach us things. And sometimes God has us, to, uh, sometimes God has us going through the desert because that's the only way to get to the mountaintop. It's the only way for us to get to the mountaintop. Just kind of like life. If you want to be a doctor, you can't just get out of high school and go be a doctor. You have to go to college and go to med school and you have to stay up all night. If you want to be a lawyer, you have to pass the bar exam. You have to get into law school and do all that stuff. It's the other way around. Uh, you have to go through tough times. And I remember my wife, before she became an attorney, uh, she would, it was just three years of just being miserable, studying super late, being exhausted, um, and just being kind of in that a desert where nothing's really happening, but you're just kind of plugging along. If you want to be an Olympian, right? 
you have to have intense training. It just doesn't happen overnight. You have to have tons of competitions. You have to eat right. You have to diet. Uh, there was a moment briefly that Josh and I, true story, we were actually Olympians, kind of. And the way it's kind of is this. In 2008, big time, big time for the Olympics, uh, we had this like amazing idea. Uh, we were both like, hey, we're cool past old collegiate athletes. And I think it's time for us to start a new sport. So we decided to uh, start Olympic training to run the 400 meter out of doing nothing, from doing nothing, uh, you know, for years. And uh, we did it for a couple of weeks and we're like, man, these times, like we can get to these times. Like we're not that far off. Like our trial times are pretty good. And then we realized one of us, we're like, oh, that's the women's time that we're looking at. It's the women's time. Yeah, we were like five, eight seconds off from the women's time, but we were like 20 seconds off from the guy's time. And uh, so we quit the next day because in those times in the desert, the only, way to get the, mountain, the only way to get to the mountaintop is by doing the tough work. So I had to throw in that story there. We're not Olympians. We never will be, but that's okay. No matter if God led you into the desert or you got yourself into it because maybe a mistake, a sin issue, or a wrong or irresponsible decision, there's good news that obedience and faith in God are the same way to get out. It's the same way to get out. Faith and obedience in God. It's the same way to get out of the desert. We're going to move on into verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside to the morning. And as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink and there were, uh, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. I love that God starts to uh, teach us what the Sabbath is. It's so important. God knows, as any good father knows, that work distracts us from worship. Work distracts us from worship. God wants us to not obsess and overwork and make sure that we have our priorities right and that we have time for worship. See, sometimes we get kind of sucked into this idea that if we, we, we work so much because, you know, uh, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to, to, uh, to provide. He wants us to have strong work ethic. But God is saying, take the day off. Take the day off. The Sabbath is a gift from God to work hard for six days. Be diligent. Do what you're supposed to do for six days. But then for the seventh day, Take it off and worship me. And they saw what happened to the food when it was kept overnight, though, in the previous passage. They were thinking, well, if we keep it overnight on the sixth night, it's going to happen. It's gonna, what's going to happen is what happened before. It's going to turn into maggots and, and there's going to be a stench. But God's saying, no, trust me. I am a good father. I know what's best. I'm teaching you to obey me. I'm teaching you to rely on me. And we see that it was not filled with maggots on the seventh day. The Sabbath must be pretty important because it made the top 10 list. It's in the 10 commandments. But what's so cool about it is that God 
designed it to be a gift for us. He designed it to be a gift for his children to have a day off. Well, we're going into our last lesson, our fourth lesson, and that is in our future, God will be faithful. In our future, God will be faithful. We'll pick it up here in verse 32, a few verses later. Verse 32, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. I think it's so important for us to remember the journey. Remember the journey. The Lord commanded them to put manna in a jar, those frost-like things. What is it, the manna, to put it into a jar? And it'll end up being in the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments. But he wants it for them to be able to remember the journey, to remember that God provided and was faithful for years, that the manna didn't turn into maggots and it didn't uh, stink up the place, but it was there. God provided. For 40 years, they will be eating quail and manna until they get to the land of Canaan. And I think the Lord wants us to remember also. And what I mean by that is that do we look back and remember our journey? Do we look back and remember our deserts? Do we look back and remember what God has done in our lives? Do we look at our jars and see how God has provided and been so faithful to us in the past? Do we share that, those stories, how God was faithful to our children, to our friends, and to our family. I think our jars that are filled with reminders from God's uh, provision and faithfulness is what gets us through the next desert, and the next, and the next, and the next, because deserts will come when you are following God. When you're letting him lead your life, you're going to enter into a desert. And we remember how he has provided in the times before. May we remember what God has done in the past and what he is doing in the present. Remember the same God who parted the sea that led the Israelites by a cloud and a pillar of fire and provided what is manna, quail, whatever you want to call it, uh, call it. It is the same God that is providing for you daily. The same God that is providing for me daily. Just enough for right now, just what you need. Remember the journey. Let me pray for us as we close. Well, Father God, we just thank you again, Lord, for just the chance to be able to open up uh, your word. Lord, we thank you for the study. And it's just, it's amazing and humbling to think that you care for us so much, Lord, that you are a God that is constantly just uh, involved in our lives, minute by minute, Lord, minute by minute. And you uh, want us to rely on you, Lord. You want us to be able to let you uh, lead our lives. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the reminder that you are a good, good Father. And even when those deserts come, those spiritual deserts come, and we think it's miserable and it's terrible, you are teaching us through that, Lord. And we thank you that you do test us because that just means that you are seeing if we are ready for the next level. We love you so much. In your name we pray, amen.
grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire Standing next to me There was another in the waters Holding back the sea Should I ever need reminding How you've been set free There's a cross that bears the burden died for me There is another in the fire All my dead left the dead beneath the waters I'm no longer a slave to my sin and Should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning? Either way, I won't bow to the things of this world. And I know I will never be alone. There is another in the fire standing next to me. There is another in
Well, ABF, it's been so fun hanging out with you, and uh, we just hope and pray that you have an amazing week ahead of you. And just remember that God is a Father that loves you, and He provides for you. Remember that the next time you're in the desert. Take care.